0: Welcome to The Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hello, I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Today, we are excited to be joined by Rich Honan. He is a partner at Philips Lytle, our show sponsor. Rich is a repeat guest on this show. He has appeared in episode number eight and episode 45. Today, Rich and I discuss how Philips Lytle, a medium-sized business, has responded to the coronavirus. And how it has changed the way they do business. Rich and I also discuss how this pandemic has very rapidly transformed how most of us interact and will do business in the future. So, before
1: we get into the conversation, we just want to sincerely thank Rich Honan and Phillips LLP for their longtime support of the entrepreneurial community and their sponsorship of the Unconventional Path podcast. Now, a note to our listeners we don't usually date our podcasts, but uh, Bela, as you said, this is uh, a podcast about coronavirus and the pandemic, and it's actually the second in our series. So just to let um, the listeners know, we recorded this on March 31st, 2020, and uh, depending on how far into the future you're reading this, just a, a note that the uh, coronavirus pandemic is still raging all over the world um, with really no clear end in sight right now. So there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and I would say some fear. So this is, I think, a great time to have a set of conversations about coronavirus pandemic and how small businesses is responding to it. So with that, let's move to the conversation with
0: Rich Honan. Well, Rich Honan, welcome. Always good to see you.
2: Good to see you and good to hear you.
0: Yeah. So uh, how are you faring in this uh, coronavirus uh, saga?
2: Well, I, I think like everyone, you know, your first thought is that your health and the health of your friends and your family. And so far, I've been fairly fairly lucky. Um, uh, I know, Baila, I know you and I, I think, have come to this conclusion some years ago that um, you and I don't have to wait for something bad to appreciate being in good health. Because I know you and I talk about that a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this certainly... Uh... Puts a lot of elements of uh, life in perspective. Including sort of how delicate things really actually are.
2: How how delicate and how interrelated, you know, we've used the term globalism, right? Uh, For 20 years now. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we see the effect, the, the physical effect of how, you know, something, you know, previously thought fairly benign, you know, can spread and uh, be so contagious and be so with such a high mortality rate. Um, And, you know, disease spreading as quickly as, you know, as communications.
0: Yeah, yeah, it just rocketed around the world. It's remarkable, isn't it?
2: It is. And, and uh, you're right, it, 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 Opens up a, a a number of other questions. Obviously, the, you know the health issue is first and foremost, and and it's going to be that for a long time. Uh, but it it is going to open questions about the way people communicate, the way people travel, uh, the um, the places we rely on for our supply chain, uh, the way in which um, we uh, deal with with issues as they come up. So I, it's it. it I think it's going to be more long-lasting, um, and I also think right now we probably have to step back a little bit because, unfortunately, I think this week and next week, and uh, you know, I'm 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 here in upstate New York, um, where uh, you know New York is the hardest-hit state in, um, in in the United States. The United States at the moment is the hardest-hit country, uh, and I think we're going to have a very a very grim week or two. I hope it's not longer than that um, until we see some kind of upturn.
0: Yeah. Or at least a slowing of the rate of infections and, uh, serious illness. Yeah.
2: Um, so, uh, you know, on, on, on the other side, obviously it, it, it is heartening to see, uh, you know, how people, you know, for, for the most part, the very most part, um, People are instructed to do things and, you know, people have kind of turned their lives upside down and, and continue going. You know, you tell us you, we can't go out. Okay. We, we won't go out. Tell us we have to work from home. Okay. We'll work from home. Um, tell us that many of us can't work at all. Okay. We'll, you know, try and pass some legislation and deal with that. So there, there's a resiliency there that, that is, that, that is kind of heartening I would say.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to remember, and, and I can't certainly remember anything like this in, in, in my lifetime, where in the span of two weeks, the whole world drastically changed. I mean, there's many parts of the world, not just us, that are in the same sort of lockdown situation.
2: And and, and probably far worse off, I would guess, because we, we do have an infrastructure of communications and telecommunications. Uh, we do have a workforce that uh, a lot of which uh, can can, for example, work from home. I know there's many, many, many people that can't, uh, and but th- I think that we probably are better prepared for something like this than a lot of other countries. And obviously, while we all argue about the best way to deliver health care, we do have um, we have, pretty good healthcare facilities good healthcare infrastructure and we have the money basically to shore it up at times like this yeah
0: and we're a large enough country that it doesn't hit all that doesn't doesn't impact the whole country at the same severe level at the same time i mean think about some of these smaller countries where you know they're the size of of new york city or or not much bigger and and uh and that's all you have. And, and that can be extremely devastating. Whereas we have the ability to sort of shift resources around a bit and, you know, one part of the country help the other part of the country.
2: Right. And, and learn from the other part of the country. Uh, you know, I was talking today with with uh, somebody from California. And at the time that California was putting in, into place its kind of quarantine and uh, shelter, shelter in place orders. It's, you know, at the time, I'll admit it seemed it seemed over the top. Um, and now it looks like they, um, saw what was going on in New York, had the chance to do some planning that New York was unable to do. New York just got hit with it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's extreme anymore. I I think it's probably, it's probably a correct response. And then the question is how, how long will it continue?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable. How, how has this impacted, uh, Phillips Lytle, the law firm?
2: So Philips Lytle, like a, a lot of other, and I'll use the California example as well, I've, I've been talking to people from uh, Silicon Valley companies. So, you know, our, you know, our most tech based companies and uh, Philips Lytle, uh, you know, we have about 400 employees. Um, we're largely in the Northeast. We're largely in one time zone. Uh, so as as a management problem, it's obviously much more contained than, say, you know, a global Silicon Valley company. But I think we learned some things that they learned as well, which is the we thought we had the ability to pop, to if you would ask us before this we we would have said sure we have the ability to work from home uh you know let's just go and do it and uh you know it turned out that we don't necessarily have or did not necessarily have that ability on day one to the extent where we ha- we have a hundred percent of your workforce working from home and I think some very large West Coast companies found the same thing, and we're surprised uh, to see that. Uh, to our credit, we ha- we have a, a very very good management team at Phillips Lytle, um, and uh, our managing partner called together. I don't want to call it a crisis management team, but you know, kind of a, a an interdisciplinary team of local and group managers, and you know, within within a few days, you know, what had been 350, 400 people working on site. Uh, by the following Monday, we were most of, most of, most everybody was working. We were delivering the same level of services. Um, yes, there was probably a little more heartburn in delivering it, uh, but um, you know we've we've been uh, extremely fortunate. We've been relying on our IT people, and um, it, you know through good management, um, we've been able to. I don't want to call it seamless. But we've made it as seamless as possible to our clients.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you know, Phillips Lytle's a small to medium-sized business, depending upon how you want to classify it. So, Correct. So you're you're two weeks into this. So so, from your perspective, what what have you guys learned so far? Lessons <laughs> that you can pass on to other small businesses.
2: Well, a, a, a few things, and I think they you know you don't need necessarily need me to tell you this, but one of the things, especially to entrepreneurial businesses, is. It really hammers home that you have to question sometimes even your most fundamental assumptions. Um, you know, there are certain assumptions you make that you think are just rock solid. Um, and in a flash, they all change. You know if you would ask you or I a month from now, will you know will sixty percent of our of the country be out of work and staying at home? and the ones that are working have to have to work from home. That We never would have factored that into any of our planning. Um, so uh, you have to be aware of either question your assumptions or at least be aware of the assumptions that you may be making, maybe not even consciously. So that, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is um, I think you're never as prepared as you think you're going to be um, you know, because all of us, I'm sure that every company in the world is telling its customers, its suppliers, its banks. Sure, we have disaster planning. Yes, we have backup planning because we all and we all think we do. It's all in good faith. Um, and then when the time comes to actually put it put it into place, you know, you you see some of the challenges that you face. So I think that's another thing you could learn. But I think the biggest thing is I've seen, again, some really large companies that have struggled their way through this. I think because of lack of communication, lack of transparency, and um, we, you and I talk about this all the time, but boy, just the, the, the ability to tell your people, both your employees and your customers and your suppliers and your vendors, what's going on at that particular time, even if you don't have every, every answer, just to communicate what you do know and what you plan to do uh, is, is really very, very helpful.
0: Yeah, you know, I that brings up an interesting point. You know, there's there's many sort of unforeseen uh changes that happen in a business, right? You're, we can have this, what's going on right now, which is countrywide, or, you know, your your business can burn down or, you know, uh, your supply chain dries up. Your supp- you know, your your primary critical supply chain guy goes out of business. So there's a lot of drastic things that can happen. And up here and up and a little further north of you where I live, there was, a, a, about a year ago, a microbrewery burned down to the ground. Right. And it was very popular microbrewery. And it was really interesting from sort of a strategic and management, you know, uh, view to watch these guys and what they did. And, man, they did, I think, everything really right. Like, the next day, they came out and said, you know, we just had this bad disaster, uh, and, and, and we don't know what we're doing right now at the moment. But we're we're meeting this week and, and in seven days we're gonna come out and let you guys know what the plan is. So the, the fact that they did that immediately, I, I I think all of a sudden sort of, you know, said something to their customers, right? Because whenever something bad happens, you want to hold on to your existing customers because they're the ones you have a relationship with. And and it's it's easier to hold on to somebody than it is to get somebody new. <laughs> so absolutely. So by communicating that out you know they said to their customers okay you know we had this happen bear with us give us time a week later they came out and they said look we we did we secured some contract brewing so you're still going to be able to get our product at retail uh you won't be able to come here to get it but you'll be able to get it at retail and and we're going to rebuild and we think we'll be rebuilt in 9 months you know and and they sort of did that communication and 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 that communication that sends a message not just to your existing customers, but also sends messages to potential future customers on how you deal with something like this and how you deal with this change, and and you know I, I think they've done very well, uh and in in sort of their way there and that, goes, that echoes exactly what you said you know this notion of sort of communicating, letting people know what's going on, and making sure uh, because if they would have been silent for two weeks after the fire, no one would know what's going on. And and people fundamentally assume, okay, I guess they're gone, <laughs> right? So right. so you really got to do that. That's really important.
2: And two weeks, you know, they they wouldn't have had to be silent for two weeks, right? To to lose their customer base, it could have been. It, it, it's unfortunately it's far shorter than that. And I you know I've seen a similar thing. Um, and maybe maybe it is a little easier for for smaller. Well, it is easier for smaller companies to communicate. You know, I understand that. Um, but it's still a management decision that's being made. I, you know, when this, I I go to a gym every morning, uh, it's one of those gyms where you kind of take a class. It's, I guess you'd call it CrossFit. Um, you know, it's pretty intense. I'm the only one who's not in shape, but everybody else is in really good shape. And, 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 and they go to this gym. Now, now that is that gym was closed down, um, by, by New York state along with everybody else. And, you know, they communicated and very quickly they had uh, put a done an online format. They've been broadcasting their workouts. Uh, they've been pushing people along. They've actually thought their way through the workouts so that you could do the workout, the workout uh, it, in your home, in your basement without having all the, you know, the weights and everything like that. And uh, it, it's so not only so not only did they jump all over it. I have a feeling they're going to expand their base. They're going to expand their business base because at some point, hopefully soon this will end. People will go back to their gym and then they will still have, they'll have this whole new set of offerings through their online, their online platform. And so we're both saying the same thing. Communication is key. Um,
0: And, and and they also, I I think I, I bet you that their employees felt invigorated by doing this too as well right so it gives them a challenge it brings them together uh, and and it gives them focus to say okay we're gonna we're gonna come out with this fundamentally new distribution channel (laughs) a a way of a way of delivering our product that we never thought of doing before it it was actually no no yet you come to the gym to do this well maybe you don't have to and 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 so that's sort of a uh, and that will have a lasting impact on the business as you suggested
2: Oh, it absolutely will. And they think, you know, they even did some things, um, just little things. But so when the workouts that they're broadcasting is what they did was they have the guy who's in charge of the gym and they have the actual trainers, the people who, when I go to the gym and the people who tell me what to do, they're actually taking the class. So you're actually seeing them. It's a daily reminder. They're there, you know, they're physically working, they're sweating. Um, so you know, that, that's just a really good approach, and I, I, would, I would tell others to try and do that. There's also, I think you also have to come to some quick conclusions. There are some businesses that can really only work in a very limited way, and you have to have that very difficult conversation with your workforce. I mean, everybody knows it's, it's no one's fault. It's, 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 not the, it's not the business owner's fault, but you have to tell people as quickly as you can what, what is being planned so they can make their own arrangements. Um, Luckily, uh, well, we could argue politically, but luckily, uh, you know, the government, the various governments have stepped up uh, in a number of ways to try and provide, you know, some, whether it's through unemployment insurance or, or loans to businesses. So, you know, there is, there is going to be some redress there. Um, But even when you have bad news, you you have to pass it on quickly. Um, So, uh, you know, that's something obviously every, every business knows that, but this really, this really brings it home.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How do you think this has? I mean, your firm your firm does uh, a fair amount of uh, advising and consulting for venture backed businesses or early startups. How do you think this will affect that market?
2: Well, it, obviously, the, the money flow, uh, you know, will will tighten up for a while. Uh, we've already seen it certainly in the uh, merger and acquisition context. Um, you are already seeing a lot of deals being put on put on hold. Because even the, these large private equity deals, there's usually a component of borrowed money, um, and and the capital markets just in general have tightened up. Uh, I'd like to think a lot of those deals will resurrect, um, depending on how long this goes and and the industry uh, that they're in. Uh, but certainly on, on the on the startup side, um, there's going there's going to be a little bit of there's going to be a pullback from people investing. But the other thing is there's going to be a huge shift to what they invest. Uh, so Obviously, healthcare is going to be even more important now, right? And I also think things like supply chain support, you know, one of the global, truly global effects of this is, um, and, you know, it's difficult not to edge on uh, a lot of people uh, depending what kind of, po- what, what brand of politics you have that, you know, that, uh, that kind of informs some of your views on, on this, but... For example, it, it does appear that this particular virus we believe started in China, um, and China is the center of you know the world's supply chain. Um, if you're in the United States, you know that there's been you know a, a school of thought that says that uh, you know th- there's got to be some modification of, of the relationships between our country and other countries in China with respect to their, their being the world supply chain. And this, I think, is going to add to that conversation. So I think now you're going to be, you're going to be looking and saying, are, you know, putting politics aside, just based on logistics, are there other countries you should be looking at? If, if China was your only supplier, if, if, if it was a company and it was your only supplier after something like this, you, you'd I think you'd be less than diligent if you weren't looking around to try and at least spread that risk, spread the source. So you're going to see that. And I think we're going to be surprised at the extent to which that response is as much of a tech response as an actual manufacturing response. So in other words, I'm not saying that we're necessarily going to build tons of manufacturing in Indonesia or something like that. But I think you might see technology cobbling together or bringing together a supply chain that's not necessarily all in one place, uh, where parts are being made one place and transportation gets them somewhere else. And there's redundancy, kind of like when you have the, um, you you know, the uh, uh, in telecommunications, you know, you have the rings and like the redundant rings. uh, And and I think you're going to start seeing that. And that's a tech challenge as much as uh, of a manufacturing challenge, not building new manufacturing, but building a new infrastructure to communicate among manufacturers.
0: I and mean, look how quickly
2: some of these car manufacturers, for example, are are, are make, going to making ventilators, you know, uh, and uh, what maybe that's going to be something we look at where, you know, kind of the dual use of manufacturing facilities. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of investment in that, as well as investment in just tech infrastructure. Um, this is really, you know, with, with everybody in America having conference calls, right? You know, you, you and I are not, you know, you know, you and I are not sitting in the same room right now. Normally, we'd be we'd be sitting across the table from each other to do this. We're not sitting in the same room. None of my, you know, seventy partners are sitting in the same room when we have our meetings. Uh, my children going to school are not in school. Kids, kids in uh, the students in, in college are all they're all online. You know, and that's gotta put a strain on on our you know our fiber infrastructure, and I think you're gonna see that made more robust,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, you know in the past we've had numerous different events, whether it be the oil embargo or other types of events that have disrupted supply chains and uh we always come out the other side of that uh, a little more robust, multiple suppliers, et cetera. Uh, but this is an example of where, uh, you know, it's unprecedented because it Im- it impacted the whole world. And uh, e- even though China is the dominant manufacturer now, you know, not that long ago, it was Korea and then it was Japan. And, you know, we used to manufacture a lot of that stuff here in the United States. And before that, it was Europe. So there's always these risks when those things are too centralized. And I, I hope you're right in that one of the lessons that we carry forward out of this particular uh, disaster, I'll call it, is this notion of redundancy and flexibility within uh, the supply chain. The way they used to do it in the old days was they used to store a lot of inventory. And, and, and then as, you know, people got more sophisticated uh, remember, remember the whole just in time delivery concept, (laughs) right? So there is no sort of work in progress. It's, I, I'm going to build 10, 10 cars today, so the parts for those 10 cars are going to show up uh, this morning, and I'm going to build those 10 cars. Well, th- we found that we really honed that really well, and then there was a, a hiccup in, in the supply chain. And all of a sudden, I remember back in the 80s, I think it was, a lot of the car companies had to shut down for various different points in time because they didn't have parts to build the cars. Uh, and we learned a lesson in that. Right. We, we, we learned many things. So what do you think some of the the lasting positive things that can come out of an experience like this are?
2: Well, first, I think it, it gives you a, um, almost a forced time to step back, take a break. Right. Uh, and and um, if you if you're an entrepreneur, you know, you're, I know you're supposed to always be selling. Um, but there might be some sales you just can't do right now. There might be some parts of your business you cannot advance right now. So first and foremost, every entrepreneur um, and again, whether it's a gym or whether it's a brewery or whether it's, you know, kind of the more traditional, what you and I think of as the high tech startups. Um, I think everybody should be taking time. Just kind of t- relook at your business plan. Re- uh, something as simple as go over your deck, go over your, your PowerPoint. Does it still make sense? Uh, does it, does it still, you know, ring true, uh, you know, in, in the new reality? Take your time and do that. Get your cap table together. You know, that kind of, the, the, those kind of things, right? The, the, stuff, the stuff you're always meant to do. Um, so I, I think that will be good. Uh, but I think also the, the big thing is people will say, is my product the type of product that people really need versus the type of product that people want? And you... Will then structure your market and your marketing and your distribution accordingly. So I, I think we're going to see, um, and, and I also think you're going to see what, what you said, which is there's going to be more need for redundancy. So if you used to use, you know, you used to send 100% of something to one person, now maybe you'll be 80, 20, just in case, you know, uh, and which I think is going to create huge opportunities for small firms, for small businesses. You know, you and I used to say, well, it wasn't you and I. Everybody used to say, no one ever got fired for hiring IBM, right? Well, now if somebody only hires IBM, they may get fired. You know, they they need they need to. It's not a slam on IBM; it's just a slam on on putting all all your eggs in one basket. Um, so I think I think those are some of the good things we'll see. Uh, there's going to be more opportunities, and a lot of them are going to be around the supply chain. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of opportunities around um, telecommunications infrastructure, and I'll call it health tech in general. Um, th- this idea of, you know, if, you know, we're going to make ventilators and, 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 ha- and we're going to have them maybe in a central place and they'll be dispersed in a certain way. And that, you know, in a perfect world that could be done, you know, pretty seamlessly. If you could order something from Amazon and get it the next day, you'd like to think you could order, you know, medical supplies and get it the next day. Um, so uh, I think, I th- but I will, I think you're also going to see, I really think you'll see this, Bela. I think you're going to see less physical, international transportation. I think, you know, you and I grew up in the era uh, where, you know, it was important to get in front of somebody, you know, actually go, uh, I, I want to go see the plant. I want, and that's probably still important. But, you know, it was pointed out to me by a very smart individual who said, you know, besides that a lot of these hardest hit places are all, of course, big cities. A lot of them are are big tech areas, Um, you know, whether it's Seattle or, you know, L.A. and San Francisco, obviously New York, North Carolina, um, where you expect a big influx and outflux of of, of people traveling. Uh, And I think you're going to see a reduction of that. Um, And so how do you you know, are are you going to see more virtual, Conversations and things like that, which we always had the ability to do, but now we realize it. We need to have that. We need to be able to do that as well as having a meeting. So I, I think you're gonna uh, you're gonna see that, and you're gonna. So for domestic manufacturers here in the U.S., I think you're gonna see that that's could be a huge positive for them.
0: Yeah, and and I think you're right. As we experience these new ways of doing things, uh, you know, people working from home, uh, we're gonna start to figure out ways of doing it better, more efficiently, more effectively. Whereas in the past, you fundamentally worked from home if you were sick, right? Right. But now the whole firm is working from home. So, okay, what type of infrastructure, what type of systems do we need to set in place? What types of, uh, you know, what types of meetings, what meeting size, et cetera? We'll figure all this stuff out uh, and we'll get better at it. And I think it will permanently change the way we do business. My wife and I were talking about this this morning about, how, you know, whenever we went to the doctor, because we weren't feeling well, you go to the doctor, they write you, and the doctor decides to write you a script. And now you're feeling crappy, you're going to get in the car, you're going to take your script to the, to the pharmacy, <laughs> you're going to stand in line with seven other people who are really sick, maybe not with the same stuff you have, and wait to get your prescription filled. And, and now, you know, many of the pharmacies are doing free delivery, for these, you know, not not the 90-day things that you get mail order anyway, but sort of your 10-day supply of something to get you through whatever you have. And it's like, why didn't you do this before, <laughs> right? You were forcing me to come in there when I feel crappy. And I think it's going to be really difficult for them to walk that back, right? So just like working from home, it's going to be difficult to walk that all the way back. And 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 I think we're going to end up coming out of this better and stronger and with lots of new opportunities for businesses, both large and small,
2: we will. And I think there's people, you know, you and I. There's some there's some local companies um, uh, uh, um, where people are really looking at kind of the healthcare, you know, value chain and 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 seeing where you could kind of snip some some slices out of that. would thing, you know, where yeah, obviously telemedicine is is, is going to be is going to be hugely uh, impacted.
0: Uh-huh. you know that's interesting let me just interrupt you cuz telemedicine's been around for 30 years we've been talking about it right but there's fundamentally never been a forcing function to right. to make us make us pay attention to it and to force us to make it really work well and i think we have that now so you're absolutely right that's a great example
2: it it also and the other the other thing that something like this allows us to do is there might have been regulatory constraints, and I'll, may I say, legal constraints. Um, you know, a doctor, it would be difficult, it would have been even five years ago. It would, it, it's difficult for a doctor to say, for you to say, I have a sore throat, and the doctor says, well, all right, FaceTime me, and you know, you stick your, your iPhone, you know, down your throat, and they take a look at it, and they, and, and then to actually make a diagnosis, and then to prescribe based on that. Probably all doable, from a medical and a technical standpoint, but that's, that. five years ago, that's a difficult call for a doctor to make because you're you're going outside, you're doing something atypical, God forbid something happens, and so there's an entire regulatory structure that you're fighting and legal and everything else. Something like this forces, actually might force the regulatory structure to now catch up with where the technology now is. And now to the point where they say, we actually don't want you even coming in, you know, unless you have a temperature of this. And and by the way, think of all the people who, you know, blood pressure cuffs, cuffs and, and, and all, all, the, all, the diagnos- all the kind of diagnosing things you can do at home and then send that into your doctor. Think, think of what the sales of those are going to look like. You know, people doing home blood tests and right, things like right. that. Um, so there's that. I, I do also want to say, um, so telemedicine and, and, and things like that, you see. But I think the other thing we'll we'll learn, and, and not to leave out these industries, if you're here in New York, it the, the upstate New York, New York City, different, you know. And and you know, we're praying that obviously they they get through this, you know, as quickly, you know, as possible. But here in upstate New York, it's only been a couple of weeks that we've basically all been working from home. Okay. Those of us who can work from home pretty much are are working from home. And it is incredibly difficult not to be able to do things like go out to dinner, not to be able to, you know, go and have a drink with somebody, meet somebody for coffee. And I think one of the things we've learned is we really need that. We, you know, as humans, we need that. Uh, And that's not just, that's not just entertainment. That's kind of part of you know, your whole, your holistic health, you know, pattern there, right?
0: Right, right, right. We, we, we've traveled, we have traveled in herds for long times.
2: <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and we're gregarious animals. And uh, now I think, I think we've learned things like social distancing, uh, you know, is something that I think is going to become assimilated a, a little bit. Um, and, you know, and, and all the things you can do, you know, as far as I, I wonder if you'll see people shaking hands less from now on. You know,
0: um, yeah, you know, maybe it, maybe the whole notion of bowing isn't all that bad, huh?
2: Yeah, right. It's uh, it's it, but and 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 they'll and then that will go that will go too far as well because people still need you know the tactile sense of you know being able to shake hands or hug or just you know basically show show emotion for each other, you know, um, obviously right now, this is not the time, but I, I don't think that's something that's going to go away. I think that's just something that we need to do in a different way. Yeah. So those, those businesses at restaurants and, and businesses that entertain, it's funny, we'll be able to work better from home, but there's going to be an emphasis on how could we entertain ourselves in groups, um, in, in better ways. Uh, so I, I think you'll see some you'll see some of that you'll see that in restaurants you'll see that in, in other places as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. do Do you think do you think this will which will change other social behaviors for the long term?
2: Uh, yeah, some of it not some of it not good. I mean, and, and I don't know if you if, if it's social. Well, so we're talking about things like not shaking hands, um, but this whole the whole idea of quarantining and shelter in place and, you know, uh, the whole idea of, you know, is the cure, you know, is the cure worth it? You know, is the cure worth worse than the disease? Right now, um, it seems like we need to do everything we could possibly do to, you know, slow the spread of this. Um, But it brings up some really interesting social questions and the bottom line, and, and, you know, one of the most brutal ones is how much are we willing how much are we willing to kind of cost impose a cost on 80% of the population or 85% of the population in order to uh, uh, to make it more healthy for 10 or 15% of the population and, and and in cold terms that that's kind of part of what we're doing if if people said we're going to lose 100 million or or we're going to lose 2 million people through this everybody would say well we got to stay closed forever if somebody said we're going to lose 50,000 people from this, there'd be a lot of people saying, "All right, then it's time to reopen." And, and that's, that's a very calculated that's, that's a very calculated analysis, and that's a very difficult conversation to have. So we're going to start seeing that. So we're going to start seeing people kind of grouping, you know in, 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 in ways that, that we need to be careful about: healthy versus non-healthy old versus young, upstate versus downstate, city versus rural. Um,
0: and, I've I've had the and disease and you haven't.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that that would be dangerous. And that's uh, we need to be able to have those very difficult conversations in a somewhat transparent way. Yeah. Uh, not everybody can say everything that they're thinking. And maybe that's OK. But um, I, I think that is going to change. And, and what we have to be really careful about is not grouping people in ways that that bring us apart both, you know, culturally and from a society standpoint. Yeah. That that's probably my biggest fear because when you overlay that with this idea that, gee, maybe it is just better to stay at home. You know, um and stay at home and stay away from, you know, different parts of the country or different parts of the city. That's that's not that's not optimal.
0: Yeah. That's not where we want to go. Yeah. So I, I think it will be it'll be fascinating to see uh, as As we come go through the peak of this, how we turn things back on I mean related exactly to what you're saying, right I mean, how do we start saying, okay uh, it's okay to start doing this stuff again, or you know this group of people can do it, but this group of people cannot uh, I think that's going to be much more fascinating because right now it's just sort of a blanket sort of everyone stay at home pretty much you know don't do anything uh, but as we come out the other side of this. I think uh, we're going to learn a lot about um, sort of society and and uh, how people react to these things after it's been, you know, a month or two that people are sort of in their houses and uh, they're itching to come out. But someone's going to say, eh, you still need to stay in there for another month because you you don't have immunity yet or you do have immunity or, you know. Or if they come up with a vaccine, right? How are they going to start delivering that vaccine?
2: Well, yeah, and, and then the next question is: so the way I understand this, the only way this gets cured is if there's not one person in the entire country who has it, right? Because as long as there's one person, it can spread. Yeah, I think long- I think
0: there's this concept of of sort of herd immunity, right? I mean, if if and and the number is pretty high, the percentage is pretty high, but I think it's in the I think it's in the uh, uh, the, the 90, 95% of the herd has immunity, then you pretty much, the whole herd has immunity. Right. Because the probability of that 5% of people who don't have it, getting it is is really low. Um, but if 95% of us has to have it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a lot. the
2: next strain. And, and, and then there, that's the thing. Then there's the next right. strain. And the other thing that we have to think about as business people is, have we now written a template where, well, I think we have. So now we have state governments and municipal governments having established a template where using their police power, they can basically say, all right, so what's going to happen next year? It's flu season. Everybody take off for two weeks. You know, I mean, the template's there now, right? Right. We right. all know how to, you know, those of us who can work from home or, you know, can work from home. We may, and so is that going to become something that becomes part of the society? Now, uh, if so, you know, there's going to be an industry that springs up to somehow serve that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: OK, uh, I'm not sure what it is, but uh, I, I will say from a libertarian standpoint, I don't love the idea that there's now kind of another tool in government's arsenal Um I think we'd all agree this is um this is a circumstance an extraordinary circumstance and, and everybody understands this has to be done and then we'll argue about for how long it has to be done. Right, right. But if this is going to become a regular thing, you know, to combat the flu or to combat whatever the next strain is, you know, yes, an industry will will rise up around that, but I don't know if that's a way that we want our society to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, you know, it goes back to when people talk about flattening the curve, uh, it's really the area under the curve <laughs> that that gets you through this, right? So if you flatten it, it, def- it by consequence means it's going to last for a longer period of time. And I think it's the sort of de- more deadly nature of this particular virus that has us so concerned versus the normal flu, which sort of comes around and we've gotten pretty good at giving people shots for that. So, you know, some percentage of the population, some percentage of the herd has immunity. Uh, but I think it will be interesting to see how we react to, uh, the next version of this.
2: Yeah. And yeah. And which, you know, and I'd like, I'd like to think we would have learned a lot, uh, you know, before then. And I, and we don't have to take, you know, measures this extreme, um, I don't love the fact that this is, like I say, another tool in in, in government's arsenal. I'd like to think it's not going to be lightly used. Um, But, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 it's really difficult to say, well, you know, we're we're trying to keep everybody healthy. You know, it's, it's hard to be the person to say, well, no, I need to go out and make money. Right. That's always a difficult argument.
0: Yeah. So let me ask you another question. And this, this is not intended to be political at all, but, uh, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, you know, Rhode Island said uh, people from highly infected areas, i.e., New York, are not welcomed here anymore, and we're going to stop people coming across the border. Uh, do, do you think those types of things uh, will will can will happen more often, uh, or or you know, will will a particular city say, or a particular town, or state, or county, you know, we don't have any of it, or we have very low numbers, so we're basically locking our borders.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, first, it's not just Rhode Island. There's a number of states and municipalities. There's certainly a number of states that are saying, even if you're a resident, if you are coming out of an affected area, yeah, you could come in, but you have to self-quarantine. You know, Florida is actually checking people. Uh, My understanding is they're actually, you know, they have highway stops where where they're checking people. Um, So, yeah, I think we're going to see that and that goes back to what you and I talked before. So that now we're grouping people, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and and again, I'm not I'm, I'm I've never been known as a social liberal, uh but but I will say that you get into a you get into a scary kind of algorithm there because if you're saying, well, look, we're not stopping you cuz you're from New York. We're stopping you because you're from a city where these things, you know, can spread. Um, so if you're from almost any city, you're, you could use that, someone could use that excuse to say you're in an area where, you're a congested area where things can spread. A lot of the people that live in cities, particularly inner cities, are not necessarily high income people. So am I going, is it too much of a stretch to say, to, to say that, you know, by doing that, you're kind of de facto creating some barriers against people of different of, of certain social castes being able to come into your state. Um, and that, that, to me, seems a very difficult and very dangerous proposition. I think the other, you know, so, you know, I'll say that. Um, the, the other thing, I think, where you're definitely going to see it politically is the issue of immigration and the issue of homelessness are now going to be looked at both for and against, in this light, yeah, as, as as health issues and as you know you know legitimate police power to you know for health, um, and I think um, some of which makes sense and some of which I think is gonna is going to make an already very emotional topic much more so. So yeah, you're going to see that. I, I I wonder if you're going to start seeing people you know people who can afford it moving out of cities. You know, a lot of people moved out. A lot of people moved out of New York City after 9-11. Right, right. You know, uh, and and, and, you know, never really went back to a big city. A lot of them moved to upstate New York or other places. Um, And I wonder if that's what you're going to see, if you're going to see people kind of spreading into, you know, less populated areas.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting on this sort of. uh... Closing your border perspective, because I I know a lot of the island nations down in the Caribbean and in the South Pacific have basically closed their borders. They said nobody in, nobody out. So at the nation level, right, that seems to be accepted. I mean, they're islands, so it's a little easier to do. Uh, But, uh, you know, where do you draw the resolution, right? Is it that for the United States in a situation like this to say, that's it, we're closing the borders, nobody uh, in nobody out. Um, but it's, it, but it's not okay for a state to do that, or, is, you know, not okay for a county to do it or not okay for a city to do it. So where do you draw the line? If you draw the line at all,
2: you can't because the line gets drawn at, at even a lower You're take it all the way down to what have a lot a lot of our listeners are business people, right? This is this is something that comes up every day. And you're going to see a shift in this. You're running an office, you're running a store, you're running a restaurant. Before all this happened, somebody shows up and they're sick, okay? And what do you you say? Go home, go home because A, you're sick and I want you to feel better, and B, you're gonna get other people sick, and C, forget it if we're like a restaurant, okay? You know, even before this. Um, And then what happens if that person says, I don't wanna go home, I don't wanna burn a sick day, for example? You know, which is legit. That's you know people li- live on their sick days and and they say I feel fine. You know that that's something that used to be kind of you know that was a little bit of an HR no no right if, if somebody you know if you told somebody to go home and they didn't want to burn a sick day what do you do you give them an extra day now that's going to become you're basically barring that person right and that's going to become much more frequent in fact now you as the person in charge. You could have, you could get in some trouble for allowing a sick person in, in your office, right? So, we're, what I'm saying, Baylor, is we're doing this. Forget on the nation level, on the state level. I municipal mean, we're doing this on an office by office level, you know. And what's going to happen when three friends or four friends want to go out and one of them is 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 you know has a runny nose?
0: We're we're doing okay. it. We're doing it at the family level, right? Yeah. My wife and I are not going to see the grandkids. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's about as. a a fine grain uh resolution as you can have because right because they they have a a nanny that comes in and out every day and you know we're high risk we're at that age and it's like nope we're not seeing the grandkids so right it's very interesting
2: yeah and and that's where that's where i think a lot of people are seeing the problem yes health-wise it would be great for everybody to be alone in their home and not have any contact with anybody But that's kind of like it's almost like the old joke about the OMB. You know, if you read all the when the OMB, uh, the Office of Management and Budget or the Congressional Budget Office does their uh, does all their um, their estimates of what a bill might cost. You know, the old joke is, you know, they you know, 100 percent tax would be, you know, the best thing for the government. Right. Because that that brings in the the most revenue. Uh, But then nobody has any money. So (laughs) difficult questions and businesses are going to have to face these every day.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very interesting going forward. So we've been chatting here now for forty-five plus minutes. Um, what other thoughts you have about all of this stuff, Rich?
2: Well, again, I you know I think I, I might use this word. I, I'm just amazed at the resilience of people. I'm amazed at the adaptability. Um, it, it, like I say, you know, my my business, for example, my firm is not a huge business in the context of the world, but you know, there's four, you know, three hundred and fifty, four hundred and fifty people. And within the space of a couple of days, we went from being a law firm, who you know, not known necessarily as as your most uh, your most cutting edge of businesses, but you know, we went from being you know a law firm where we you know sat around with legal pads to you know working from home and Skyping and Zooming and and uh, and, and 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 all that. So I'm I'm just amazed. I'm amazed at how quickly the restaurants um, have have gone to you know being able to do pickup. You know what I mean and 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 I've actually been trying, I think a lot of people have been trying to, you know, in a safe way, be able to call a restaurant, go pick something up, you know, if you can, you know, keep the restaurant going. Uh, you know, yeah. amazing how quickly they. So I just the, 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 whether you call it capitalism, whether you call it democracy, whether you call it American ingenuity, whether you call it just, you know, human adaptability, um, it's just amazing how quickly we uh, we recognize something and we adapt Um. And, and you know, people say, "Oh, you know, one of the problems with with our world is we have a short attention span, and we think in sound bites." And maybe that's true. But the flip side of that is, look how quickly we get over stuff. Look how quickly we move on to the next, and and just assimilate and 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 adapt. I, I think that that's pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, yeah, those are good thoughts. The one caveat I would say, <coughs> the one caveat I would say is that. When we're forced to do it, man, we do it really well. But when it's sort of optional, we drag our feet pretty well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's what, you know, that's it's the role of leaders, it's the role of entrepreneurs, it's the role of boards of directors, uh, is to keep things top of mind. You know, what you know, the hardest time to change is when everything is going fine. You know? And and you know, that's that's probably the takeaway. You know, you're reading the stories about this ventilator program that started in the late years of the Bush administration went through the Obama administration through the Trump administration. So that's as multi partisan, you know, apolitical as you can be. And we still don't have any ventilators from the program. And and this was actually an identified risk back in 2006. Um, And that's the job of the entrepreneur is, is anybody can deal with a crisis it's hard to make people focus on something that might become a crisis before it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rich, it was a pleasure chatting with you as always. Uh, I really enjoy our conversations. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you and stay healthy. Bela, this was great idea that you had to have this conversation with Rich. You two covered a lot of ground and identified what I thought were several timely and insightful issues. Uh, I think the concepts you discussed about readiness uh, and innovativeness and starting to think about how we want to deal with the lasting impacts of this pandemic um, are critical. And they're critical ways that we can move forward proactively and positively, um, given these uncertain times right now. Do you have any final thoughts?
0: Well, you know, Mike, uh, I think the conversation that Rich and I I had was pretty complete. And uh, I think we should just uh, wrap this up.
1: Okay. Well, listeners, we're happy that you joined us in our podcasting adventure for this week. We hope you found the last 45 minutes or so interesting and thought-provoking.
0: At this point, we'd like to once again thank Rich Honan and Phillips Lytle LLP for sponsoring our podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Rich, his email is rhonan at phillipslytle.com. And you can, of course, find his contact info in our show notes.
1: If you have questions about what we discussed today, suggestion about future topics or potential guests, please do get in touch with us. Our email is mike at
0: gmail.com. And please do subscribe if you haven't already. We have lots of great guests in the pipeline. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Have a great week, Mike.
1: Thanks. Sounds great, Bela. That's it from over here in Münster, Germany. And listeners, have a safe and healthy week, especially if you're listening to this in April 2020. Thanks. Bye.